Making those needed changes to your life is hard. It's even harder when you don't have a clear picture of what changes you should be making. Thankfully, God gives us a blueprint for what He's doing in our lives. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. You may see a need to make some changes and not be sure what steps to take. Well, God hasn't hidden the work that He's doing in your life. He is working to make you more like Jesus. And the Bible gives us a pretty good picture of what a life following Jesus should look like. Today, we're looking at a quick overview of the blueprint He gives us in the life of Christ. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. First, some housekeeping. If you're listening to Run With Horses on Revelation Radio, you need to know that beginning November 4th, we have a new time and day along with some format changes. We go to a new one-hour format on Saturday, November 4th at our new time, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. So starting in November, look for us at revelationradio.net every Saturday night at 6.30 p.m. for an hour-long show. For those of you who are listening to Run With Horses on your favorite podcast player, new episodes will coincide with the radio broadcast and will be available every Saturday night beginning November 4th. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, you are being encouraged and challenged through what we're trying to do. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Well, I mentioned in the last show that like it or hate it, change is necessary. Without changing, I will never be like Jesus. But random change, unrelated to what God is doing, just isn't helpful. We're invited to join in the work that God is doing and to be intentional about pursuing godliness and righteousness. So in the last show, I mentioned three things that really hinder us as we pursue that change toward Christ-likeness. One is lack of motivation. Two is a lack of a plan. And three is poor priorities. They're all reasons that we struggle to change. Well, today we want to address something related to several of these. It's the idea of that clear goal. We need a clear picture of what direction we're going. We're changing into something. Change is directional. It's not random. God has a plan and a purpose, and he's given us that plan, that purpose, in the image of Christ. So we're going to start with the mind of Christ. If I want to grow, if I want to change, most change, maybe all change, really starts with my mind. It starts with changing my beliefs because my beliefs ultimately will change my actions and my feelings will trail behind somewhere. Now, one problem we often have is that we allow our feelings to lead. (laughs) I mentioned before, my first sermon in Japan, I made this drawing of a bullet train and I had the engine in the front and then I had several cars, and then a, a final car that, really a bullet train doesn't have a caboose, but for my purposes, I call it the, the caboose or the, the final train. So I had each one of these labeled, and unfortunately, a lot of people have the engine that pulls the train of their life is their feelings or their desires, what they want, and then that affects their beliefs and their actions and everything else. But really, we get it backwards when we do that, when we allow our feelings to guide us, because our feelings change. You know, if you have a bad day, 
if you have I've been sick for a while. If you're tired, if you're out of shape, if you had a bad conversation with a neighbor, there's all these things that can change your emotions and affect them that are not related to you making good choices and not not related to the truth, ultimately. And that's a problem. So in this train, we started with truth. The truth exists outside of myself. I believe that there is an eternal truth. That truth exists whether I believe it or not. But a life that's made uh, whole, that's consistent with the mind of Christ and the life of Christ, understands that that truth is there. And I believe that it's true. I have faith. My faith is in what's true. I believe that God really is, that Jesus really existed, that he really died on the cross for my sins. And I've placed my faith in him, not just for salvation, but also for that power and strength to live the life today. So I have what's true, and I have faith in that. And then that guides my actions. So I try to live, make choices that are consistent with what I believe, which is the truth. And then my feelings, they matter, they are important, but they trail behind sometimes. Sometimes I don't feel like doing the right thing until after I begin to do it. And that's one of the reasons why we put the feeling car at the end of the train because it does get changed by our actions. It's amazing how many times, and let's take exercise as an example. I've gotten up in the morning and said, ah, it's kind of damp and cold. I don't really feel like getting out and and running. But the truth is, I know that I, I, it's good for me. I need to exercise. I believe that if I exercise, I will feel better. And in the long run, I will be a better person because of it. The self-discipline requires and all these things that go into it are good for me. So I believe that it's something I should do. So I have the truth. Exercise is good for me. I have my faith. I, I really should do it. So then I get up and do it and go for that run. And what I've found almost always is that after a certain amount of time on a run, I feel better. <laughs> and I'm glad that I got up and ran. Even on those days when I back in graduate school in Iowa State and it was cold and snowy and it's like, man, it's just hard to get out of the house. But 15, 20 minutes in, I've warmed up. It's a nice day, even if it's snowing. It's, you kind of enjoy it. Hey, I'm out in this. I'm warm enough. I'm getting exercise. And you enjoy it. And you know you're coming back to warmth. <laughs> so that makes it even more enjoyable. And and you have that added benefit of knowing you did what you needed to do. You did the right thing. Your actions lined up with what you believe. Well, that's a really kind of a silly example, thinking about something that's just in the physical world. But spiritually, it is much the same. The truth is, if you dedicate yourself to some basic spiritual habits, prayer, time in God's Word, memorization, meditation, time in fellowship with God Church. It's true that those things will help you in the long run. They may be hard in the moment, but over the long haul, as you develop habits and consistency, those things will help you. So if you believe that, your faith is that if I am obedient to what God said and I apply these things into my life, I will be a better person. So then you do them. What you'll find is your feelings will eventually change. I think a lot of people, when they begin something like Bible reading, if you haven't read the Bible a lot, there is a growth curve to to reading and understanding Scripture because 
The Bible explains itself. There are passages that until you read passage A, you're not going to understand passage B and C because they, they clarify each other. If you're just beginning, you may read them out of order. You not realize that there are other passages that clarify the one you're reading. So you just say, well, I don't really understand this. What's well, because it's referring maybe to another passage or it's further explained elsewhere. And you haven't learned that yet. So there is a, there's a learning curve. That's absolutely true. It's one reason why beginning to read, it's helpful to have a friend or a guide, someone who's saying, here's a path to start with. Read these books in this order and it will help you. Don't start with Leviticus. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> so if you apply yourself over time, you know, you read through the Bible once, twice, and you, you begin to see these connections, it does get easier and your feelings change. You understand, I, you benefit from reading God's Word and seeing how it impacts your life as you apply it. So the truth is that God's Word is valuable to you. You believe that I, if I know it, it will help me. And you take the actions of reading it and studying it and think about it and memorizing it and meditating on it, and then your feelings change. This is part of how we develop the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ is, is many things, <laughs> and really all of the things we're going to look at are related to the mind of Christ today, but particularly we have to look at Philippians 2. And let's go ahead and look at verses 1 to 9 because they specifically talk about the mind of Christ. Verse 1 says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, when we think about the mind of Christ and how God is changing me and making me more like Jesus, what I recognize is there's a lot in this little passage that tells me what the mind of Christ is, what is included in that. And that idea of like-minded, I think that's important, particularly when you read the rest of the New Testament and you, you see how often the Bible talks about unity, particularly in the, the church family. Unity, like-mindedness, it's the same thing. We have this same, here it talks about the same love, one accord, one mind. And that mind is the mind to glorify God, the, the mind to be obedient to what he has to say, the mind to carry out his ministry on this earth. And we'll come back to all, some of all these later. But that idea of like-mindedness and unity, I mean, that's one of the things that Christ had. He understands perfectly unity because of this relationship that he has with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. They are perfectly like-minded in unity. And this passage also is one that people go back to over and over again, thinking about that idea in verse 
3 of lowliness of mind. And then it talks about verse 8, how he humbled himself. So humility is a huge part of Christ-likeness, of having the mind of Christ. So one of the things God is doing in my life is helping me develop humility. When I understand as I go through life that I can't accomplish things on my own, I trust God. I I humble myself and recognize I need God's help. And tied in with humility in verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Part of our love for God and our following him is to be obedient, is to carry out the things that he said to do. And in verse 3 and 4, it has something here that's incredibly difficult for us just as people because we tend to be selfish. So that lowliness of mind should help us to do what? Esteem others better than ourselves. What do we do? What do we mean by that? Well, we look out not only for our own interest, but also for the interest of others. So I consider my, my choices, my life, how can I serve your interest? How can I help others do well in their life? And that's hard for us. That requires some humility because our selfish sin nature wants to be first, wants to lead the way. And we really, we're going to struggle always to set ourselves aside. So to have that mind of Christ, part of that is going to be developing humility and really valuing others. And then the purpose of Christ, really we see this lived out in his relationships and, and really even the mind of Christ. A lot of what we're looking there, the unity and the, the like-mindedness, the lowliness of mind, the humility, it's again lived out in relationships. So all of these really are, are very much connected to our relationships. So let's look at the relationships of Jesus. And I typically break down the relationships we have as Christians into three categories, God, the church, and the world. So Jesus' relationship with God, it says basically the same thing in a couple of places, but John six thirty eight says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So God had this relationship with the Son, and the Son was on the earth, where uh, Jesus is carrying out the will of God the Father. It is that uh, obedience to death on the cross, as we just read in Philippians, but it's to glorify the Father, to point people to the Father. So they had a special relationship. And while Jesus walked on this earth, he was that example for us of what it means to glorify God in our actions and our choices and our relationships. And he pointed people toward God. And he himself honored him in his choices. So part of that is carrying out God's plan of redemption. I think we have that same opportunity to carry out this ministry of reconciliation. That's part of the relationship of Jesus with God, and it's part of our relationship with God. So we talk about becoming like Him. We have a similar relationship with God in that we also have the opportunity to carry out His ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for Christ. We have a special relationship with the followers of Jesus, with the church, the church family. Uh, John 15 12 to 17 talks about Jesus and some of 
some aspects of his relationship with his followers. He said in John 15, starting verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Several things stand out. Jesus loved the people that followed him, and he desired that they love each other. Uh, He called them friends, and part of that is he revealed to them what was going to happen, what he was going to do. Now, they didn't understand it. I think it's, it's always fascinating to me how much the disciples missed about what was coming. He told them clearly, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be killed and rise up again the third day. They're going, what in the world is is he talking about? Well, he did tell them they didn't understand. They didn't have a context for this. But afterward, they did understand. But he did reveal it to them. And afterward, he was with the disciples for 40 days after the resurrection, helping them to understand what was coming. So, he says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And we'll come back to the idea of bearing fruit in a minute. But we have this special relationship. He loves us, and then we're to love each other. So we love God as He loves God. We're to love each other as He loves us. That's part of growing in Christ-likeness. We have a special relationship with the church. And then the third of these relationships we have is with the world. And Matthew nine thirty-six to 38 tells us a little bit about how Jesus viewed the world. He said, uh, verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So you see... Jesus saw people, and he he loved them. He cared for them. Uh, He saw that they needed a shepherd, and he asked the disciples, pray. There is a great need for work out in the world. The harvest fields are few, but there are not many people who are willing to go out and do the work. Pray that God would send out people. So his relationship with the world was one of compassion, and you see that as he healed people, as he loved people, as he spent time with people. This is the motto we have, to love God, uh, to love each other, and to love the world, to really have compassion, and to be willing to serve them, uh, to be willing to talk to God about the need for more workers. We have to be doing this. I think uh, there's a neat story in Luke 19, 1-10, where it talks about Zacchaeus, and I won't take the time today to read the whole story, but it, it tells how Jesus met Zacchaeus, and as he went to Zacchaeus's home, and you see that people around looked and they said, oh, he's, he's going to be a guest at a sinner's house. You know, that's it's horrible. But Zacchaeus was changed by his relationship with Jesus, by his interaction with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. And verse 10, he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
This is his relationship with the world, so that the lost become part of his family that he loves and and shares his ministry with and, and sends out into the world to continue that ministry of reconciliation. So these are just a few things, but you can see the mind of Christ and the actions of of Christ and the way that he went through the world, how he was obedient to the Father and how he uh, served and built up the disciples and helped them in their faith, but also how he reached out to many who even turned away from him. He still loved them and had compassion for them. We think of the rich young ruler who was confronted with his own desires and heart and turned away, but Jesus had compassion for him. So when we look at our own lives, there are several things that we've looked at that we should see. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 25, gives us this list of the fruit of the Spirit. We should be pursuing this, intentionally desiring to see the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in our life. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, these are uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. We want to see this lived out in our life. So some of it is a mind change, is a worldview change, I think comes as we spend time with God in prayer and in His Word and understand who He is and what He does, then we desire the same things. And the fruit of the Spirit is, I believe, the result of spiritual growth in our life, of spiritual change in our life. Uh, It says there in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So living a spiritual life a life that is focused on Christ, that is pursuing Him, will result in, as we walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's part of our desire as we look at the world, as we look at ourselves, and, and how we interact with people. That love, joy, and peace should mark our interactions, uh, should mark our attitudes, uh, patience, self-control. I mean, these are things that are difficult for us. It's not usually that the things that that Jesus calls us to are hard to understand. It's that they're difficult to live out. And this fruit comes from pursuing Christ. It's hard to pursue joy in and of itself. You pursue Christ, and the joy is a result of that. The joy is a fruit of growing in godliness and righteousness. We need to be growing in our love for God and man. Matthew 22, 37 to 39, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and great commandment. The second one is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, on those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So all of the things that in the Old Testament we read that the Israelites were to follow and obey, they're really wrapped up in loving God and loving other people. And that's really, at its core, what we're trying to do as Christians Love God, love other people. Now, it's difficult because we're distracted. We tend to love ourselves more than we love God or other people. But as we're pursuing Christ-likeness, being intentional, looking at that blueprint of the spiritual change that needs to occur to grow in our love for other people and ask ourselves, what are the actions that go along with actually loving other people? I think that's important, a good way to look at it. 
Well, obedience and good works. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Titus, I don't know how many times, it repeats this idea of good works often. We're to intentionally engage in actions that are consistent with a life of following Jesus, that are consistent with what he values, that are living out our faith. Uh, good works is a, uh, a summary, a, a term that is a catch-all, really, for all kinds of things. Go back to what we looked at in Philippians when it said, esteem others better than ourselves and look not only to our own interest, but the interest of others. Well, good works are things that are looking at others' interest and helping them, lifting them up, doing things that help other people. It's not because I benefit from it, because I gain, but because other people gain. When we look at the New Testament, we see this focus that Jesus had on God and honoring Him, and the way that He did that was in His relationships with people. That is exactly the same way that we do it. I love God. I want to honor Him. I want Him to have the glory. Therefore, I look at other people in my life, and I see how can I serve them? How can I esteem them? How can I do good works that lift them up? It's that day-to-day obedience and actions that are living out this life of following Jesus. And the last thing that we'll mention today is engagement in disciple-making. I think if you look at the life of Jesus as an example, a blueprint for us, we have to consider that big-picture, long-term project that he had of training the disciples, preparing them for future ministry. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20 is the maybe the main passage that a lot of us keep going back to when we think about this idea of making disciples, but it says, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So here you have Jesus saying, I... Authority has been given to me, and here is how I'm passing it on to you. Go and make disciples. And as you make disciples, they will be baptized, identifying with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As you're discipling, you're teaching them to, it says, observe all things. That is to carry out, to live out, to practice all the things that Jesus had commanded his disciples. So, we have that same command to be disciple-makers. And we can recognize that he says, I am with you always. He has authority. He's given us a task. And he's with us. It's a perfect package. We know what God's called us to do, what the project is. And he's given us the authority. And he's also given us uh, his presence. He goes with us as we do that. So God has given us a pretty good blueprint of what it means to be growing in Christ-likeness, and that's what He's doing in our life. Well, for today, we'll stop there. Thanks for joining me today. 
If you have thoughts or questions about your spiritual life, feel free to write me at norman at runwithhorses.net. I would love to hear from you. Keep looking for the change that God is working in your life. God is working to prepare you for eternity and for that close fellowship with Him. He's making you a disciple of Jesus. He's making you like Jesus. So find a friend today and encourage them to keep on the journey with you. Whatever you do, don't stop. Keep running.